0: I'm Chris Avino with American Outdoor News, and today we get to speak to the voice of public land hunting. And through uh, his own perspective and experience, uh, he is the leading advocate of self-guided hunts. Uh, we please welcome Mr. Randy Newberg. Oh,
1: well, Chris, Grant. thanks. Thanks for having me. Hey, um, you know what? Honored. It's so
0: nice to finally meet you.
1: Well, honored to be here. Uh, I. I I have a friend who says, Randy, the fact that anyone invites you to to be a guest or anything shows you how far a line of BS can get you in America. <laughs> <laughs> and he's known me for fifty years, so he, he probably knows that. Yeah, I'm I'm more BS than I am anything. So,
0: uh, you know, it's part of life. <laughs> <laughs>
1: uh, now, but thanks for having me. What
0: What first got you into public land hunting?
1: Yeah, it's, uh, this is inner, it, I, uh, <laughs> I, I'm going to roll back. I, I'm going to sound really old by the time I get telling all these old stories, but I grew up in Northern Minnesota. Uh, my parents divorced when I was 11 and my dad, uh, had moved. I live in Montana now. He'd moved out here to work in the oil patch for a little while. And everybody in my little logging town, the goal of every young kid was, I want to be a hunter. I want to be a hunter and so here i am i just get to the point where i can take hunter education and uh my parents divorced and it was a hard time uh but you know that being what it is i was able to leave the trailer house that we lived in me and my mom and my two younger siblings grab my 410 or my 20 gauge walk out the back door and shoot grouse and squirrels and pheasant or uh, not peasant, uh, rabbits because there was public land right there. And I took it for granted because I grew up around all these state forests. Well, then I move away and I start seeing no trespassing signs. I'm like, what's that all about? Because I can't remember seeing a no trespassing sign growing up as a kid. And so it started dawning on me how important having a place to hunt was to my evolution and my growth of being a hunter and someone who supports conservation and wild places and wild things. And so I, I, my life has pretty much been public land hunting. Don't get me wrong. In my other life, I'm a CPA and I have a lot of tax clients who used to invite me out. Hey, you want to come hunt here? And I tell people, I don't care if it's public or private, just go hunt. First of all, Yeah we built our platforms based on the notion that there's nobody out there promoting public land hunting. So it was just I know a good a, fit. There's a
0: big difference, uh, in types of public land hunting. I know
2: mm-hmm.
0: for me in New York, if I'm going to hunt public land, I'm going to see 50 other people. Yeah. You know, yep. It's, you know, where, you know, where you might go public land hunting, you might not see another soul. Can you uh, help us understand the difference and, yeah. and just how much public land is available to us?
1: Yeah, I mean, in your state of New York, you guys have that big state forest, Adirondack. Is yeah. that correct? It's And that's state land. Uh, it's one of the bigger chunks of state public land in the country. But you get out west, where I live in Montana, uh, and I hunt all the Rocky Mountain states, we've got 640 million acres of federal public land that we're talking about the U.S. Forest Service, the Bureau of Land Management, U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service, Bureau of Reclamation. 640 million acres is a lot of ground to spread out on. And so out west, yeah, you're, you're right. And this is where I tell people, I always say, what a country, right? I mean, we live in the greatest country in the world for so many reasons. And I could leave right here where I'm sitting. And if I had the energy to do it, I can hike from my office to Yellowstone national park and be on public land from the trailhead all the way to Yellowstone. Well, in the hunting season, I would do that, or I could do that. And I'd see a lot of elk, I'd see grouse, I'd see deer, I'd see all kinds of stuff. So there's so much land out there that we, we really are spoiled in the West. Uh, it is way more crowded in the Midwest or back where you're at in the Northeast, just because of the population density of people, uh, and how hard it is to find places to hunt. Uh, yeah, it's, you're going to see a lot more people when you go out than I do. And one of the things that my platforms, we try to do is to show the person from New York or where I grew up in Minnesota, that this stuff that you see us doing out in the West is actually quite doable if you can save some money for the, you know, driving out and, and the tags and stuff like that. But I grew up thinking the only way I'd ever get to Elk hunt is if I won the lottery. Well, then I move out here and I start thinking, you know what, you can do this. Anybody, if I could shoot an elk, anybody can shoot an elk because I am so far below average that I need to start showing other people how you clear some of these hurdles and dispel some of the myths that it's only for rich people. And so that's kind of how that, mix of public land and and the difference of the east and the west uh kind of falls into the message that we put together
0: well for a new hunter looking to do his own do-it-yourself hunt on on public land
1: Mm -hmm.
0: what's what kind of steps should they take before (sighs) they actually get out in the field because once they're out there it's a lot different than watching it on youtube
1: Oh yeah. Way, way different. Uh, there's a few things to that. One is the logistics. Uh, the other is just the mental preparation for what it takes. I I grew up whitetail hunting. I was not mentally in the mindset of what it took to hunt huge, vast landscapes because whitetail hunting, you know, you're hunting an 80 acre patch. <laughs> well, that's not that intimidating. And it's, if there's some deer in there, you know, you got a pretty good chance of seeing them. Well, then you come out here and you got you know, a drainage that's 20,000 acres, it's like, where do I even start? And it's such a foreign landscape. And it, it, it takes a lot of mental uh, adjustment to understand that the densities of animals are lower. You're going to have more wild country, if you want to call it that. I mean, I i had zero concern that I was going to stumble into a sow grizzly bear and cubs back home in Minnesota. Uh, here, it's on my mind when I'm elk hunting. Uh, they're just... There's a lot of things there. And then coming the elevation difference, uh, you know, you start hoofing it at 10,000 feet. You're like, where's the oxygen around here? You, you guys hide all the oxygen on me? So there, there's a lot of things from the, the actual hunt itself. But the other part that I think is a big challenge for folks who I grew up, we just went down to the hardware store, Gordon's Hardware, and we bought our deer tech well in the west if you're a non-resident you got to be ahead of the game right now we're doing all these videos it's, it's application season yeah you, you have to participate in these crazy elaborate schemes that all these western states have come up with and if if you don't do that you're not going to get a tag and the first step to getting a chance to go hunting is acquiring that tag so we spend a lot of time talking about how you can get a tag it sounds pretty elementary, but the Western states have mastered the art of making it really complicated.
0: It, uh, I think that's what any state, and, you know, it's all, it's all <laughs> revenue driven, and you know, how much can we get, even though, you know, it does go towards conservation, but, you know, uh, which kind of segues into my uh, next topic here. I know you had a pretty close relationship with um, Jim Posowitz, Uh, Can you tell me a little bit about his work yeah? uh, conservation and what kind of influence he had on you?
1: Yeah, we're all, I think any of us can look back at our lives and say, boy, there's been some important touch points along the way, and we're blessed to have just encountered certain people that you build a relationship with. And Jim passed away last summer, uh, but he was well known as being one of the one of the giants of conservation uh anyone who in most states if you've taken hunter's education in the last 30 years you got his little book called beyond fair chase uh it's (laughs) He's <laughs> millions of copies out there. Uh, and he started an organization called, and when he left Montana Fish, Wildlife and Parks and Retired, he started a group called Orion the Hunters Institute. And he was doing a seminar right over here at the university, Montana State University near my office. And this was in 1993. Uh, he just started and I went over and said, hey, I loved your presentation. Let me know if ever I can help. He said, well, what do you do? I said, well, I'm a CPA. He's like, we could use some account, accounting help. So I started doing that. Two years later, he asked me to be on his board. And then I sat on his board for 12 or 13 years. And in the process, got to see uh, somebody who really had been through the the challenges and the, the, if you want to call them battles of conservation. He'd done it from the inside of trying to be a state employee and representing the hunters and anglers and their their voice for for the wild places and wild things we love. Uh, And then watching him do that as uh, in a nonprofit world. And I just, I got to hear a lot of really cool stories. got to meet some amazing people and, and to call Jim a friend, uh, what has been one of the, one of the blessings in my life for sure.
0: Every once in a while, there's somebody that comes along that uh, guides you in the direction you didn't think you'd be in.
1: Right, Chris, I'm sure you, if you sat down and wrote that, you'd have a long list of people who touched you in some way. And oh, yeah. You, at, at the time, you have no idea that this relationship is going to guide you down a certain path. And Voila, there you are.
0: I, I got a story for you afterwards.
1: <laughs> cool.
0: <laughs> now, you serve on several boards uh, for conservation. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about your own conservation work?
1: Yeah. Uh, I have... Uh, I've just termed out now of my most recent conservation board position, the Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation. I served on their board for six years. Uh, I've served on lots of local rod and gun clubs. Uh, I, Like I said, I was on the board of Orion, the Hunters Institute for 12 or 13 years. Yeah. But, uh, and so right now, after I termed out on the board of the Elk Foundation, my wife said, can you take a little break from that for it a little while? Yeah. So I've officially taken a break from it, but I'm still heavily engaged. And that's what I use my platforms for. Uh, the why of our platforms is to promote self guided public land hunting and create advocates for that cause. So in today's world where all of our issues get drawn over into Congress or state legislatures, We need advocates. We need people who understand how this process works. This isn't the old day when everything was handled over at a Fish and Game Commission or there weren't controversies about firearm ownership or conservation or access. Now all this stuff is a political game. So part of my job is to take this 30-some years of advocacy experience I have and teach others how they can be an advocate for the things that, that are their passion and their interests. So,
0: well, maybe you'll lean to public office someday.
1: <laughs> my wife, it, it's funny, today's my 32nd anniversary and my wife has told me, if you ever officially enter politics, I'm out of here. So <laughs> I, I got to figure out how can I kick the tires and steer the bus from the outside rather than jumping into the into the, the morass. <laughs>
0: <So>. <laughs> now, um, currently, Uh, the West is covered with uh, preference points for almost Mm -hmm. every single species. Um, What do you think we should do uh, in regards to the preference points programs uh, across all these states to Uh, make it a little more level the playing field a little bit?
1: Yeah, there are only three Western states that don't have some sort of elaborate point scheme. Idaho, uh, New Mexico, and Alaska. Every other Western state, you got to subject yourself to these crazy schemes. And I'll just say this as an old gray-haired guy. Uh, no offense to us old gray-haired guys, but I can now say that because, you know, I i got plenty of gray hair. Uh, but I have a lot of points in a lot of states. I've got double-digit points for many species in many states. And what I would prefer, if i if Randy was king for a day, I'd get rid of them all. I'd give up my 20 sheep points in Nevada and Arizona. I'd give up my almost 20 sheep and moose points in Montana. Because if you think about preference points or bonus points, whichever it is, it's really the pie stays the same, but how do we readjust the pie so that the old gray-haired guys like me get a bigger piece? Yeah. Well, if you cut a pie and someone gets a bigger piece, it means everyone else gets a smaller piece. And I, it just... Frustrates me to no end, but I'll use an example. Wyoming made $12 million off non-resident points last year. So So, the evolution of these has become a money stream. And I'm not saying that Wyoming operates just for the money. The point of that is, is we've built systems that have been accepted now. Colorado's system has been in place for over 30 years. We have built systems that agencies feel that their constituents have an expectation, and there's also a, a, a some sort of value proposition that creates a revenue stream. So I don't see them going away. Unfortunately, it all comes
0: down to it. All comes down to the dollar at the end of the day.
1: How so much I, do we I, earn. Yeah. So I I wish it was different, but I don't see it changing. So I tell people if the landscape's not going to change, how do you adjust your plan and your strategy for that unchanging landscape? And that's why we spend, like right now, we'll, we do a video on our YouTube channel for every state. Wyoming, Arizona have already released. We just filmed uh, New Mexico and Utah, those will be releasing. So that people who aren't familiar with these elaborate schemes these states come up with, that they have a little bit of a head start about, okay, this is my budget, where could I get started in this? So.
2: We love our children. We protect them. We guide them. We prepare them for life in the world. With all that we do, from deep in our hearts, we cannot control all things. Life-threatening illnesses and disabilities affect far too many of our children each year. While we cannot change the circumstance, we can make dreams come true. Dreams to provide hope, to provide spiritual healing and strength to provide moments of happiness and relief in the hardest of times. We can give a glimmer of light and hope in a time of darkness and despair. Join huntofalifetime.org to help make dreams come true, to provide hope for children with life-threatening illnesses and disabilities. Hunt of a Lifetime is a non-profit organization fulfilling dreams for hunting and fishing trips to youth 21 and under with life-threatening illnesses and disabilities. Visit huntofalifetime.org to learn how you can make a difference.
0: Well, I think we could move on to a little bit of a, a hot topic now.
1: Uh-oh, what are we going to talk about now?
0: Well, there's a romantic image of, a, of the wolf. Uh-huh. And there's reality. Yeah. What is the reality of the wolf as a species mm-hmm. interacting with us on our public lands and our in our own backyards.
1: Yeah so back to my growing up I grew up in northern Minnesota a little town called Big Falls right in the middle of Koochiching County so if you look at a map of northern Minnesota the place that looks like would be hard to get to that little logging town is where I grew up and wolves never disappeared from there so I might have a take it or leave it attitude about wolves or I just it's it's not that big of a deal, you know, as, as, uh, one of my friends says, uh, wolves don't have, uh, rainbows shooting out their asses and they're also not the villains of the world. They're wolves. Uh, but they're, you and I both know they're highly controversial topics. Like, uh, on one side, you see these videos that wolves have saved Yellowstone from destruction. Well, Yellowstone Park is right southeast of me here, about 80 miles. And that was one of the places wolves got released in 1995. And it was an... uh, I I have no problem with wolves being on the landscape. As long as the promise that was made that we would get to manage them, like we do all all other wildlife, you know what? That's it. I mean, right there. Look behind my shoulder. That's a wolf pelt taken here in Montana. Uh, But uh, to to make promises to the citizens of Montana, Idaho, and Wyoming, as they did, that, okay, when you reach certain levels, you're going to get the chance to manage them. And then through the infrastructure of our political and court system, litigate, 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 litigate. So in 2001, Montana, Idaho, and Wyoming, we meet met the, re- the delisting criteria. So Within the next few years, we had our plans all submitted, and then it was just lawsuit after lawsuit after lawsuit. Mm-hmm. Where finally it took an act of Congress, a literal act of Congress, for Montana and Idaho to get management control of the wolves that had been promised to them in 1994. So, well, how have they
0: changed the landscape of you know, while you Yellowstone yeah. Park? How have they changed?
1: Yeah. The- um. They have an impact. I mean, in Montana, they say at a minimum, we've got 650 wolves running around. They, they know it's probably at least half again that high. You know, the, they're eating some deer and they're eating some elk. They love to eat elk and they're kind of like me, you know, they like elk. Eat elk. <laughs> yeah. You know, but they don't have a, a center fire rifle to do it. They only have their teeth to do it with. Mm-hmm. Uh, so they, they've had some impact in total numbers in some places. You know, where, where elk are on their marginal habitats, the consequences of predation are amplified greatly. If they're in prime habitat, predation isn't that big of an issue. Mm-hmm. So we we're we have some places where elk aren't in the premium habitat. So we're seeing some impacts there. We're also seeing instances where the how elk are using the landscape has changed they they prefer certain places where it's harder for wolves to catch them well if you've hunted elk in spot a for 30 years you and dad and grandpa and here comes some wolves on the landscape and now the elk changed their their behaviors significantly it's like the elk are all gone well they're not all gone they they're just now using a different part of the landscape because they don't want yeah. to yeah. yeah so uh I hunt wolves. Uh, I I make no apologies about it. I think they're just like every other uh, animal that we as a society that has impacted the landscape to the degree we have, we have a responsibility to manage both sides of that equation. This idea that there's some big happy balance, that mother nature finds its happy balance is a steaming crock of dung. Uh, And the only way that's ever going to get back to how it was is if 330 million Americans decide we're going to pack up and leave this continent and restore the landscape to how it was before we got here. That's the only way because right now all of our wildlife lives on the fringes of the remaining habitat. And we have to manage that and we have to manage them. And some people don't like the term manage. Whatever, the the reality is, we as a society collectively have huge impacts on the ability of wild things to use the landscape as they traditionally had, and that applies to every species. And wolves are not exempt from that. So, so I'm can, I'm willing to do my part to go and help manage wolves.
0: So we could manage wolves as a apex predator, mm-hmm. uh, like we managed here
1: like we do bears like we do everything i mean we ate that that wolf you see right there we ate it and <laughs> people are like you've lost your mind randy i probably have but it's not because i decided to eat a wolf my mind was probably absent for years and years before that but uh I, my my point to show to, for eating the wolf was one, my own personal interest. I was wondering how it tastes. I have a, a bit of an ethos of if I'm going to shoot something, I'm, I'm going to at least try to eat it and see if it's salvageable. Sure. But also to, to, to get just give this normalcy to wolves. You know, wolves are not little red riding hood. They're not going to come and eat the kids at the school bus. But they're also not this savior to the landscape. You know, you you watch these videos of they call it trophic cascades that somehow the wolves to Yellowstone solved all the landscape issues. There were so many complicated landscape issues going on in Yellowstone at the same time and are still going on today. To try simplify it that it's just wolves is laughable. It, it's like really we're gonna solve world hunger by you know it's, uh, some simple one topic thing. No, it's yeah. So yeah. It's
0: funny. I, I, I read an article today, Long Island for the longest time has been the only North American landmass that did not have coyote.
1: Oh, mm-hmm.
0: well now coyote are starting to make their way onto Long Island, whether they're crossing bridges or swimming, however they are getting here, they get, they're here. Yeah. Uh, and the article was basically saying, treat them, you know, with respect. Let them grow. Uh, if you see them coming in your yard, yell at them, squirt them with a hose. And I'm thinking, all right, if a coyote's trying to eat my cat, I'm going to squirt it with a hose and yell, leave <laughs> my cat alone. That'll do the trick.
1: Yeah. <laughs> good luck with that. Uh. <laughs> Yeah, it's, so it, it, know, it,
0: even wolves will scare coyote out of the area. They'll this oh yeah. is their domain. They are the yeah. apex predator.
1: Yeah, here. they hey. can, canines do not like other canines. And in Yellowstone, if you're a coyote or a red fox, you got your head on a swivel. Yep. I mean, anywhere in Montana, uh, it's just when one comes in, it displaces others. So if you look, you would see. not that I think anyone's ever measured it, but I suspect you'd see significant decline in the number of other canines since wolves have become the dominant canine in the landscape. And again, that's my point of you can't throw wolves there and think that they operate in a vacuum. You know, now Colorado passed a ballot initiative this November that the citizens just barely passed it that said, we're going to reintroduce wolves in Colorado. Hmm. Well, Folks like to think that that is just, you put them there and they mind their manners. They have this pact with the elk of, hey, we're, we're going to do this humanely and you're going to, you know, we got a deal sorted out here that you're going to let us eat you and, you know, fairy tale world, everything's going to be fine. Yeah. They have no idea what kind of complication and changes it's going to impose on the landscape. And I'm not saying that, you know, maybe... That is something that would have naturally happened because they're already in southern Wyoming. But I don't think any species or any landscape benefits from ballot box biology. Okay, mm-hmm. let the professionals who know this stuff, who make it their life's work, let them provide us the recommendations of what's mm-hmm. best for the landscape and the species out there.
0: Well, they don't acknowledge borders or fences. Or- <laughs> This is free
2: reign. Yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah, you're, you're, you're not going to find too many wolves or coyotes running around with a, a mapping software on their cell phone. So.
2: Now,
0: how smart are they? How oh. smart is a wolf?
1: Oh, they're unbelievable. They're, I spend, it probably takes us 15 to 20 days of hard mountain hunting, 10 to 12 miles a day to get one encounter with a wolf.
0: Are they... And- they're, they're, they're smart most challenging
1: mm-hmm.
2: that you've yeah, they're,
1: they're the, if you told I, I tell people that I would fill five or six out tags in the time it takes us to get one shot at a wolf wow they're just they're just that remarkable they uh, and I don't care what your feelings are about wolves if you hate them and think they should all be gone which is not my position uh if you hunt them hard spot and stock like we do you're going to respect them. You're going to have a huge amount of appreciation for them. Like right now, it's 10 below zero here in Montana. They're out there making a living. You know, they're they're catching dinner with their teeth. And, you know, you're 70, 80, 90, 100 pound wolf. And you're looking at this bull elk over there that's 600 pounds, got these sharp antlers and hooves. And you're really hungry because the the cold has just tapped your energy. And you're like, I got to jump in there. You know, I, I don't have any choice. <laughs> so you you end up with a high level of appreciation for them. Uh, you realize how remarkable they are, how adaptable they are. But they're they're just another animal. Uh, like I feel elk are equally remarkable. I, every species we have out there fascinates me to know. In and we got to manage them.
0: There's a durability about them that. Yeah. Uh, you know, makes you think, you know, you're yeah. not a stand hunter. Uh, you know, I I sit in a stand here in New York and, you know, I, I you know, do my scouting and whatnot. But, you know, ultimately I'm sitting there waiting for them to come through their funnel. You, yeah. You're, you you know, you're on the ground. You're chasing and stalking and, you know, yeah. you're, you're trying to outwit your prey. It's a completely different thing.
1: Yeah. And, and they're so smart. They, the first year that we are allowed to hunt and trap them. They, they weren't that well educated, but it did not take long before they understood that stay away from roads and trails, make big loops. So the wolves that I hunt, they're usually making 30 to 50 mile loops over the course of a week, looking for elk. Elk are concentrated this time of year. Mm-hmm. So they're checking out on this herd, checking that herd, checking this herd, checking that herd. and They're, uh, they're pretty remarkable animals, whether love them or hate them. You gotta respect them.
0: They have so. their they have their own grocery store.
1: Yeah.
0: You're <laughs> right, over here. I'm in the mood for help today.
1: <laughs> yeah. So, but I, it's good winter exercise for me to go out and do it. And it it really is more like taking your firearm for a walk. <laughs> it's and you get some good exercise.
0: Now back in what was it, 2013-ish, you suffered a heart attack.
1: Uh, yeah, I have a weird, uh, blood clotting condition. I've had four major blood clots and the biggest one that affects me is I had a really large blood clot in my liver that has pretty much messed up all the plumbing in my liver. So some days if you're watching my video footage and I look hung over is because I have a very high toxin load and my liver hasn't been able to clean things out. So, uh, I also ended up. With a blood clot in my heart, it wasn't arteriosclerosis or anything like that. I'm laying in bed one night, and I was like, "Oh, what is that?" So, being the head that I am, I'm like, "Ah, oh, I'll get through it." My wife's like, "You sure you're okay?" Hell oh, yeah, I'll be fine." Next morning, I go grab my black lab, and we're gonna. I'm thinking, I'm gonna just jog this out. I'll fix this. I got to the end of the high end of the driveway, and I was on my knees. I'm like, "Uh-oh." here i am i'm gonna die of a heart attack in my driveway and i've known i've had this for eight hours but so went in got everything checked out did the heart cath you know how they go up and yeah. the Cardiologist, he's like well there's a pretty invasive way to find out that your arteries are like those of a 30 year old you just need to figure out the blood clotting thing so i'm i'm trying but, my best do you um
0: approach your hunts in a different way now uh, it hasn't affected the way you
1: hunt not not really uh i'm on a blood thinner uh so <laughs> when i'm doing my field dressing uh you know i, I i'm on a low level blood thinner i, I try not to jab myself with the knives uh i pay attention to because since then i've also had another blood clot in my brain uh a tia they call them i guess uh woke up on the floor <laughs> if you want to get your wife blood pressure worked up be standing there and collapse on the floor uh wow. and uh so but it all keeps going back to this blood clotting thing that they can't figure out so I, it really hasn't changed my my hunting i would say if anything it is lit the fire even more uh because you you come to realize that health is such a valuable gift it's a blessing to have high quality health and I don't want to take it for granted any day that my health allows me to go out and do the things I love. You know what? Work will take care of itself. Uh, I have a saying, I always say, hunt when you can, cause you're going to run out of health before you run out of money. Oh, that's bad. <laughs> uh, yeah. And we, we all know somebody, right. Or multiple people who always said someday I'm going to do this. Someday I'm going to do this. And they ran out of health. Either they're, they're yep. gone or that right now they're in a, the level of infirmity of their health is they can't go do it. So someday I'll be at that point. But if anyone does come to my funeral, uh, my grandma always said that the number of people who go to your funeral is determined by the weather that day. Uh, (laughs) If anyone does come to my funeral, (laughs) if anyone were to come to my funeral, I hope they say, dang, I wish I would have hunted as much as that guy did. That's my goal in life.
0: (laughs) How, uh, How would you like to be remembered as an outdoorsman?
1: Uh, I, You know, that's weird, Chris. I, I saw that question on there and I skipped past it because I didn't really have a good answer. And now you, now you bring it up again, I still don't have an answer because I, I don't really think about it in that context. I just, I want to know that to myself, I want, how am I going to remember myself someday when I'm on the porch sipping coffee and not able to go do the things I love? I I want to have no regrets. i I don't want to say boy i wish i would have done that why didn't i do this or gee i I wish i wouldn't have given my all my effort that i could have to conservation or to public lands or to access or teaching new hunters i just i i i wake up every day and say you know i'm blessed to live in the greatest country in the world have the greatest daily task in the world how do i make the most of that so that i don't ever have regrets and whatever other people remember that for, I guess, is what it is. Uh, well,
0: what would you say your crowning achievement has been up to this point? Uh,
1: well, being married for 32 years, years—that uh, that's a huge accomplishment. You got my respect. <laughs> <laughs> Especially when you see, uh, I worked with a guy at the sawmill when I was going to college. And this is, again, a little side note. Uh, Don Bowman was his name, and he knew my My wife, who was my girlfriend at the time, he'd met her a few times and he pulls me aside. He says, "Uh, Randy, I hear you're getting married this weekend. I'm like, yeah. He said, look, I've worked with you for three years here at the sawmill and I've known her a few times. Just remember, there's nothing you bring to the table that she couldn't replace by noon tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> Behave accordingly. So that's probably one of my crowning achievements is to have such a wonderful life. Uh, raising an, a wonderful son, uh, he's 30 years old. That's a crowning achievement. I, I don't know. I, I really don't measure anything that way. I'm, I'm very proud of the work we do and the platforms we've built the advocacy that we're able to create for hunting and public lands and in conservation and I you know I look around a lot of my office even though you see some european mounts here uh, a lot of my office are little plaques of conservation projects I've been involved in and those conservation projects are really really important to me because uh, if someone doesn't step forward or groups of people don't step forward those deals don't get done and we lose access here or we lose that habitat or we lose whatever. And not that we can save all the world in one big swoop, uh, but I'm very proud of, of the work I've done in conservation and, and public access.
0: I appreciate everything you do for us. It's, you know, has not gone unnoticed. And well, uh, I wanna thank you for taking the time here today to speak to uh, me and my readers and uh where can we find you
1: well uh we uh have multiple digital platforms we for a while as you know we were for nine years we were on outdoor channel and sportsman's channel and we migrated all that to digital platforms so uh we have a tv show on amazon prime called fresh tracks with randy newberg and then we have a big youtube channel called randy newberg hunter we have two podcasts one called hunt talk one called out talk uh Social media, Instagram, Facebook, we're on all that stuff. And then I have a very large hunting forum called HuntTalk.com. And uh, usually you can find me out in the hills somewhere. That's where I'd prefer to be.
0: When you're not tied to the uh, social media platforms. Yeah. And podcasts I'm, and TV shows.
1: <laughs> yeah. I, I'm on a new campaign, Chris. It's called Blow Up Your Facebook. Uh, i If it wasn't for the requirement to have a lot of this social media stuff for the things we do. It's just a way to communicate now. And, you know, our sponsors and, and partners expect that of us. So we have uh, I, I know I'm my, my daily life is way too positive to get, get too hung up on the negativity of a lot of social media. So That's I, right. I just, I don't know. I, my grandma, another grandma told me that when you get up in the morning, you get to decide, is it going to be a good day or a bad day? And 99% of the time, whatever you decide is probably what it's going to be. So I, I wake up every day is a good day. So that's great. Yeah. All
0: right. I appreciate your time. Thank you again. And uh, we will list all of your social media in the article and thank you again.
1: Thank you,
2: Chris. Appreciate it. Keep doing all your good work.